Our sermon this morning is based on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Two stories, two endings, one question. Why? There was a rich man who lived in this beautiful palace. And he woke up on a morning. And he sat up in bed with a big old smile on his face. And he looked across the room at his closet and he thought to himself, what am I going to wear today? Certainly, he was going to see some people he wanted to impress that day, but he also had a lot of errands to do, some some walking around that he needed to do, so he needed to pick out the perfect robe to do it. So he goes over to the closet, looks through all of them, all of his purple robes lined up, and he says, this is the one. This one's perfect because people will see me in it, and it's going to look nice, but I can still walk around in it. So he, he slides the, the robe on and he goes out to, to his balcony and he, he takes in the, the fresh air and he goes, it's going to be a good day. And he goes downstairs, goes down through his front yard out to start those errands each more exciting and more luxurious and, and more, more satisfying than the last. And he's walking towards the gate. He looks across at his neighbor's house and he realizes that 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 yard's being kept up pretty nicely as well. He gets to his gate, opens the latch, steps through, closes the gate behind him and he stands on the street and he looks around. He looks to his right and he sees this pack of wild dogs coming down the road. Gross. 
And so he looks to the other side and he sees a friend walking kind of away from him. And so in a haste, he, he steps off the curb and, and steps over the gutter into the streets. And while he does so, he feels a little tug at the bottom of his robe. But, but no matter that, he, he wants to go catch up with his friend. So he forgets anything like that ever happened. He goes to his friend, he throws his arm around him. And they go walking into this, this incredibly exciting day. This job that is, that is incredibly rewarding. To take on a life that is full of, of blessings. Full of the good things, the finer things in life. Errand after errand is a joy for him. And then he goes to dinner with his friends and he sits down and he has meat. And he has wine until he has to undo his belt. And he thinks to himself, my goodness, what an incredible life I've created for myself. Then he comes home, he, he walks home and he does the same thing. He has to step over the gutter to get back to his front gate. He opens the gate, goes inside, goes back upstairs, looks down at his robe and he realizes it's sort of dirty, but no matter, he can just have that sent out to be cleaned. He takes the robe off, lays down in bed, closes his eyes, and thinks, Dear God, may my life never end. And then he died. And he went to hell. Why? A poor man wakes up. He rolls over, tries to roll over in the gutter. He just keeps his eyes shut for as long as he possibly can, hoping the day doesn't have to start. But when he opens them, he sees the same thing that he's seen for what it seems like to be, to be years by this point. He sees that same gate as he, he stares up at it from the gutter of the street. And he just tries to lay as still as possible until he hears the little click-clack of the gate. And he goes to roll over and then he is in screaming agony because the sores on his side are now being pressed into the dirt the clothes that he's wearing are barely clothes that are covering the things that need to be covered. He rolls over, he feels that agony, and he, he does so not quickly enough to catch the gaze of the man stepping over the top of him. But as he rolls over, he accidentally catches the man's robe with his foot. But he doesn't seem to notice. And before he can even utter a word, the man has, has kind of leapt over the top of him and he's well on his way down the street. But then the one solace in life comes by, that, that pack of wild dogs, who although they are very, very disgusting, they're the one thing that can actually make his sores feel better. So he gladly allows them to come over and lick at his sores because it's the only thing that helps. He gets himself up, props himself up at the gate, and he just sits there. All day, barely wanting to open his eyes, thinking about all of the things that led him to this very spot, all of the life choices that he has made to land him right exactly where we find him today in this story. He lays up against the gate all day, all night. Not one iota of food gets tossed his way. The sun starts to go down and he goes and he finds this place in the gutter once again, 
puts his head on that cold stone, closes his eyes, and prays, my God, have mercy on me. Save me from this life and save me from my sin. And the poor man died. And he went to heaven. Why? Somebody might say, they might take a look at this story and go, well, it was certainly because the rich man must have been extraordinarily selfish with his money. That's why he's in hell. But that's not what scripture says today, is it? Maybe you might say that, that it must be because this, the, the man that was, that was rich had nothing but, but a loathing heart for the person that was poor. That must be why he's in hell. But even that we don't necessarily see in Scripture. Okay, but maybe, maybe from the poor man's perspective, why was he in heaven? Maybe it was because God had spent his entire life just pulverizing this man, using him as his punching bag, and finally God said, okay, you've had enough. I'm going to give you heaven now. But that's not what we see in Scripture, is it? Maybe it's because, maybe it's because his life that had been filled with agony had made him more humble than anybody else on planet Earth, and that humility was what drew him to Abraham's side. But we don't see that in Scripture either. No, it's, it's not really worth guessing as to why one wound up in heaven and one wound up in hell, because we know the answer from all of the rest of Scripture. One had faith in God, and the other one didn't. That's the difference. One was consumed by the things of this world, and the other one was consumed by eternity. And therein lies the difference. The truth that we get from this portion of Scripture is that everyone on this earth will face death at some point. And there is one standard by which every human being will be judged. Faith or no faith. Earlier this week, I, uh, I don't know if you spent any time checking out the queen's funeral, but I spent about 45 minutes. I killed, killed part of my, my afternoon uh, checking out the, the queen's funeral on YouTube TV. And I will tell you what, I have never seen anything quite like it. More pomp and circumstance than you could possibly imagine for, for some type of earthly ceremony. Thousands of people lining the streets, streets and throwing roses onto the hearses it drives by. Soldier after soldier marching in line with their fallen leader's body. Even the queen's little dogs and the queen's pony were there. Thousands of people in the cathedral for the service. Millions of people watching at home. And then I thought of the person in that third world country. Just a random person who maybe last week died. Didn't have any family around him or her. Didn't have some big pageantry for their funeral. Maybe didn't even have a funeral and just had their body buried somewhere out in the country. And I thought about that moment when the queen shut her eyes on this earth and when that person in the third world country shut their eyes on this earth, all of the stuff, all of that temporal stuff, the pleasures and the agonies faded. 
and they were left with one question. Faith? Faith in Jesus as their Savior or no faith? We're all consumed by something in this life. Something has our attention, it has our focus, it has our energy, it has our time, it has our all. And that's the point that Jesus is making with this story today. Where is your focus? Where is your time? Where is your energy? Yes, we're talking about somebody that maybe was consumed by wealth, but that's, that's certainly not the only thing we can be consumed by, right? We can get, be consumed by, by just about anything that we put in our earthly life here on this earth. Things that seem good, things that we know are bad, we can find ourselves looking at those things as the end-all, be-all in life. Both eyes on the things of here and now with no eye on the future. With no eye on, on eternity as it stands and waits for every single one of us. Verse 25, Abraham is speaking to the rich man and he says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received his bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. We could be happy now, or we could be in agony now. But at the end of the day, those emotions, those feelings, those circumstances will pass away. And we will be left just where Lazarus and the rich man were, at the throne of God, waiting for our judgment. How will we approach that throne? We are living in something right now called our time of grace. It's the days that the Lord has numbered in our lives, the days of life that he has set before us, in order for him to work on our hearts and pull us closer to him. And, and each and every person has a specific time of grace in this world. How will we use ours? Do we use our time of grace like the rich man saying, Dear Lord, what a wonderful life. Please extend it for as long as you possibly can because everything here is good and great and I don't really think eternity needs to be on the horizon anytime soon. Or do we look at life like Lazarus? Lord, in all the ways that you've blessed me or in all the ways that I've faced challenges in this life, Please, today, rescue me. Save me. That's the question. Is how will we use that time of grace going forward? You can imagine an unbeliever, and maybe we've even heard this, but you can imagine somebody saying, it's not fair. The fact that God sends some people to heaven and God sends some people to hell, it is not fair. I'm sure we've probably heard somebody make some type of argument like that. And you could imagine how that, that conversation in their head with God goes. They come before God and they say, how could you send somebody to hell? If you are real God, why on earth would you do, do that? Why wouldn't you make every effort to save your people? 
Why wouldn't you be willing to sacrifice something? Why wouldn't you intervene with your almighty arm? God, why would you do things the way you're doing it? Why won't you do things in a way that gathers as many people as possible to your side? And God says, I am. I am. Look at my Savior who I sent to this world to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Oh, but I didn't just stop there. I gave you the Old Testament to point to the Savior. And I gave you the New Testament to point back to the Savior. And then I made sure that from the beginning of time until right very now, that word would endure. Oh, but, but by the way, I didn't stop there. I continued to give you my word and connected it to the sacraments, to the baptism and to the Lord's Supper, so that you could reach out and feel and touch and taste my forgiveness for you. Oh, but I didn't stop there. I decided to put pastors and teachers and, and Christians and family members and relatives and friends and co-workers in your life to guide you back to the word. Oh, oh and I didn't stop there. I continue to show love to you by establishing churches and giving you, you churches to go to and Bible classes to attend. And that person looks up at that God, who has told him just how much work he had put into the salvation of all people, and he sort of looks down and goes, well, you could have sent a sign. The same way that the rich man tells God, well, you could have sent a sign. You could have sent dead people back in order to save my family. But God says No. No, you've seen signs in this world. We've all seen signs. We see it right here in the Bible. We've seen how Jesus did signs amongst his people. The apostles did signs amongst their contemporaries. And what happened to them? They were killed. Yes, even those miraculous signs, even those wonders that people want in this life, those, even those, will not be enough to convince some people that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And it's at this time that we appreciate the still, small voice of the gospel. The words of Moses and the prophets. That still, small voice of the gospel that says, I forgive you all your sins. Jesus loves you. Jesus has saved you from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And behind those words isn't just isn't just a pastor's authority. Behind those words isn't just a mother or a father's love. It's not just a friend's compassion. Behind those words is the Holy Spirit working with all of his might on a heart. The Holy Spirit doing everything he possibly can to melt a stone-cold heart with the gospel and to bring those people closer to his side. We hear... The rich man say, no father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Trust the word. Trust that the word that God has given to you to change your heart, to change the hearts of those around you, does its job. That God doesn't just give you empty words to speak and, and a hope and a prayer with them. That God promises that his power, his might, is behind every single law and gospel word spoken.
I think we've all got those people in our lives. Those people who we would love to have that conversation with, but we're just not sure how to start it. Those people that, that whether they are living in our house with us or living far away, that we just want to know whether or not they trust in Jesus as their Savior. We maybe hope they do, maybe we suspect they do, maybe, maybe we're just praying that everything's okay in their life and that ultimately when their time of grace ends, that it will be proven that their faith is sound. But I know I can admit there are people in my life too where I go, Simeon, you just got to have the conversation with them. Because there's an end to all this. And that conversation begins and ends with the word of God. No, brothers and sisters, I'm not calling you to have a conversation with somebody just so that we can pack the seats of peace. Have that conversation with your spouse, with your children, with your friends. Have that dinner with them. Pick up the phone and call them. And use the word of God and ask them, what do they believe about their Savior? Because in so doing, you could be that beacon that brings the gospel to them for the first time in a long time. And in so many ways, you can have peace knowing what their answer is. Don't put it off. Don't put off this profound and loving conversation with the people that God has placed in your life. So here we are. We are at the end of the Hard Truth series. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of doing one of these things. Uh, it has been one of those situations in which we realize that Jesus has a lot of tough sayings in the Bible. He has a lot of warnings about life, both temporal life and eternal life. But the reason he gives us these warnings is certainly not because he hates us. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares so much about telling us that our circumstances here on earth, those don't dictate those which are in heaven. That it's someday the trumpet is going to sound and he is going to come back for us. And he wants nothing more than for you and I to be perfectly prepared for that day. Just like the, the, the last verse of our song Lord, let at last your angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home, that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until you're reappearing. And then from death awaken me, that my own eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, your glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. May God continue to prepare our hearts for his reappearing. Amen.